And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT, as we start off on an interesting... Tuesday, coming off the Raiders' loss on Monday Night Football to the Los Angeles Chargers. As I just tweeted out, Raider Nation Unite. I start now recapping the loss to the Chargers. Pro Football Hall of Fame head coach Tom Flores at the bottom of the hour. Also, Paul Gutierrez, ESPN insider for the Raiders. Jeff Sherman from the Westgate with the moving odds. And your phone calls at 702 365 9,200 late night last night with the lightning delay post-game show. I rode solo on that last night and took a ton of calls at M Resort Spawn Casino. Like a lot of games, I was the last one out. I already did this show last night. I did this show last night on the post-game show on Compass Media and Raider Nation Radio. I've taken the bloodbath of the calls already, so we'll see if it carries over today. And I'd like to hear from you about what happened last night. At SoFi Stadium, if you went to the game and you are back, if you're listening in L.A., the Bay Area, Southern California, anywhere, and you went, tell me about the night. What would you think of the stadium? I heard the traffic was a nightmare getting in and getting out. Obviously, all the Raider fans who showed up, what was that number? I wasn't there. What was the number? 75%, 80 Got a chance to hear the Raider fans when the Raiders came back after being down 21 nothing which I'll get to, but the Raiders lose their first game of the season and the sky is not falling. I have tremendous experience in this position, second to none to anyone you've ever listened to in Raider Radio history of dealing with a loss. I've done this show plenty of times and I'm sick of losing. I want the Raiders to win every game. They're not going to win every game. They get to the first quarter of the season, three and one, which is a high mark. For this organization, this coaching staff, these players to be 3-1 and one and in playoff contention early in the season. We can project ahead. We don't know who's going to make the playoffs. We have an idea that Tampa Bay and Green Bay are going to make the playoffs. But look at Kansas City. Look at the 49ers. Look at the other teams back east. You don't know. And the Raiders are in an outstanding spot going forward to control their destiny. I really want to get on to the Bears. I really do because it's a short week. And I think we need to concentrate on the importance of the Chicago game coming up at Allegiant Stadium. To me, it is a make-or-break game. I really believe that. This is a game coming up which will preview the remainder of the week here on Raider Nation Radio. Brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. 5 to 7, midnight to 2, Golden Entertainment. They own the Strat. New restaurants, new bars opening, top of the world, all of that. We'll get into that. Happy hour, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. We're going to get into the Bears all week. But the issue for me becomes you got to beat the Bears now. You have got to come off a loss where the team looked weak in regards to their execution and everything that went into that game, and they must bounce back with a tremendous week of practice, coming off injuries, more guys got hurt again. I mean, what's going on with the injuries? What is going on with the injuries and the fact that John Gruden doesn't have players available, which is my nightmare scenario. My nightmare scenario is Gruden goes to practice during the week and he doesn't have enough guys to practice. Happened all year last year because of COVID, 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 
and injuries. Just didn't have guys. Didn't have anybody to play. They're all on the sidelines. Guys are hurt. Guys are COVID protocol. Now we're at the point again where there are guys that are injured who are on injured reserve short time. There are guys that are injured who got injured last night. Guys who have been injured but played last night, and it's a short week. Sound the alarm. I I like to ring the alarm on radio. I'm ringing the alarm right now. There is cause for concern. I told you Monday on this broadcast that this was a dangerous week because in six days total, you have the Chargers and the Bears, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. I told you this was a dangerous week, and I've been damn right so far. That was a dangerous game in Los Angeles, and the Raiders got dominated in the game. And now they come in, and they come back home. where They're they're undefeated this year, and they're winning games in overtime, and they got Khalil Mack and a defense that can cause havoc. This is a great defensive team. They have been for a while, even when the Raiders beat them in London. And we were there for that. This is a good defensive team. Raiders have to be sharp if they're going to beat them. So that's the rest of the week. I want to talk about last night and what happened. And what are you concerned about? 702-365-9200. When you watch that game, I felt for all the Raider fans that went to Los Angeles, spent all that money scalping and buying the Charger tickets to go in there. What the hell was that like at halftime, waiting on a beer line with 30 people down 21 nothing? What was that like at SoFi Stadium having to deal with a couple of Charger fans popping off? So Raider fans deserve a lot of credit, and ESPN did a great job pointing that out on the broadcast. In the pregame and during the game, how many Raider fans were there? And that's a fun story. It's good for radio. Hey, Raider fans travel well. We knew that. Raider fans own Southern California. We knew that. But now what do the Raiders need to do to win these type of games? Why couldn't the Raiders play better? Why are they starting off slowly? Why are they down early in games? How come three of their four games this year, they've been trailing 14-0? I think we should examine that. I have to interview Coach Gruden on Thursday, and we'll cover it, but he's going to want to move on to the Bears. And I don't know what you want to do with this, but something's wrong with the start of these football games from an offensive point of view. You know, defense is part of it, too. They're giving up points, and the Raiders are trailing. But the Raiders are not in sync on those first couple of drives, they're just not ready to play. And I know Gruden has them ready to play. I mean, that's a claim to fame for Gruden. I mean, what is Gruden known for? Gruden's known for calling plays, having an extensive playbook, and being a master motivator. Master motivator. So believe me, whenever that locker room door opens to go out on the field out of the tunnel, Gruden did his job. He's got them emotionally ready to play. But then the problem comes with execution. And part of that is you got to tip your cap to the other team. They're, they are playing another team that, for whatever reason, has been ready for the Raiders in the, fourth, in the first quarter of these games. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm different this time around because of last year and the way last year ended. I'm different as I've been doing this a long time with the Raiders. I am not feeding into skies falling. I, I, I'm clear on that. Three and one, I'm really positive about what's going on. There's enough negative people trying to break down the door of this organization and radio show and this flagship that I love being a guardsman at the door, okay? And when they're playing poorly, everybody's on the air and allowed to talk about it. So I've done my job. You can talk about whatever you want as long as you keep it professional and you don't make it personal. 
You can talk about play calling, fourth down, running the ball, quarterback play, whatever you want. And that's what we're going to do today. So let it fly. I got some wide open segments here for you. I'd like to get you up here in the monologue on your takeaway from last night and what needs to happen. Let's get to the highlights that become the sound bites of the game. And they were mostly the Chargers early as Herbert gets them off quickly to a 7-0 start. It is third and goal. Herbert is back into the gun. Third down and goal. The Raiders send Eckler out. Herbert's alone, looks into the end zone, comes back middle. Touchdown, Donald Parham. Yeah, clean up this red zone defense and cover your man. And don't worry about someone else helping you out in the red zone. Line up next to your man and stay with him. And don't worry about help. Gus Bradley's a hell of a defensive coordinator. One of the things that drove me nuts in the Paul Gunther era of the Raiders was all of this, we're going to feed him off to someone else. What? What do you mean? You're, you're a cornerback. The guy's running towards you. You're going to let him go? Why are you letting him go? Oh, because someone might throw the ball in the flat? No, no, no. They're going to attack you in the red zone. Stay with your man. Run with your man. Guys break open in the end zone too often on the Raiders. There's got to be better coverage. Darius Finlon on a bright spot with a couple of sacks in this game. This got the crowd going. Justin Jackson, play action. Hit on the back. Herbert is slammed to the ground. Sacked back at the 48-yard line. He was taken down hard that time, and that was Darius Fallon, who's been a huge addition as a defensive tackle. That was a big play there because it was a violent sack, and that's what I think you have to do with an oversized quarterback, a great athlete like Justin Herbert. If you're going to get to him, you really got to pound him into the ground. How about Hunter Renfro breaking up that fake punt? I mean, this no matter what happens this year, this will make the year-end Raider highlight package the fact that Renfro was smart enough to see the Chargers fake, and he sniffed it out. It's a, it's a fake. Ty Long's going to throw for the first time. Incomplete. Renfro came up and jarred him. Jarred the receiver. What a hit by Renfro. He saw the fake. It was going to be a first down, and he ripped into the young man who caught the pads, and it will be first and ten for the Raiders. What a play. What a play by Hunter Renfro. What a play. Great call by Brent Mossberger. really was. I mean, that is all the iconic plays that Brent's called in his life, and Hunter Renfro comes in and, and makes a tackle and blows up that play. That was fantastic. Hunter Renfro should use that as his doorbell, front door of his estate. When you ring the doorbell to get to Hunter Renfro's house, that should be what it is, that highlight. That was fired up. That got everybody at the M going crazy when that happened. But then it went back. And let me stop for a second. This is what bothered me the most about the game, the entire game, is that it was 7-0. The Raiders had multiple opportunities to tie the game up 7-7. I remember tweeting last night at one point, I can't, it's a miracle. The Raiders are going to get the ball back and tie this game at 7. I really thought they were. They were getting their ass kicked. And I thought they had an opportunity to tie the game. That's what normally happens to the Raiders over the years. The Raiders are dominating a game, and instead of being up 21-0, 14-0, a team scores late and it's 7-7, and you go, what? What just happened there? The Raiders blew multiple opportunities in the first half to tie the ball game up. They needed to score. Derek Carr got the ball back multiple times, and the offense and the offensive line couldn't sustain any protection to get Derek 
the ability and the team to tie the game up. I thought that was a big part. That was a really big part of what happened there. All right, so we'll keep moving on after the Cook touchdown made it 14-0. And then Herbert gets it to Eckler, who had a big game. I mean, Eckler, who's been injured before, this guy's tough as nails, man. He showed up. He was the star for the Chargers. Guyton was it's over a catch. there, made the it's catch. A catch. They're going yeah. to him. They gave before it to him. he went out of bounds. He didn't go out of bounds. His clock should still be yeah. running. They called a timeout. So Guyton. All right, so we're going to get back to these highlights when we have the damn highlights right and talk about that when we keep this moving here. I thought Carter Renfro, let's get this one in here. Carter Renfro was amazing. This got the Raiders back in the game as the Raiders stormed out in the second half and they showed life. Waller could chip on him. Here's Carr from the gun. Got a running zone, fires on the move. Caught by Hunter Renfro. Jackpot, baby, finally. Yeah, finally. Finally on that play was, uh, was, uh, was an important point in the game. Very important point in the game because the Raiders showed life, and then they kept it going. Something was a little bit off with Darren Waller. Waller was, you know, he spiked the ball, which I don't recommend. I don't think it was taunting, but he did it on the Chargers' sideline. That's why the flag was there. If he did it on the Raiders' sideline, it wouldn't have been taunting. He did it on the Chargers' bench. That's why it was a taunting. So Waller looked like he was just a crazed animal let out of a cage or something. He wanted to score, and Carr found him in the corner of the end zone. Carr will go back into the gun on this third down. Takes it back, looks in the end zone, looks for a crosser, throws deep corner, jump ball, touchdown! Jackpot, baby! Raider touchdown! Darren Waller! Yeah, baby! Yeah, 21-14 on the call. The Raiders got the ball back. And I thought they had an opportunity to tie the game. Derek got sacked on third down. Uh, that was another big moment for me. I wrote my notes for the postgame show, and I'll read them to you now. Third down, why did the Raiders not go to Waller? I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't, my mind cannot figure out why the play isn't called for Waller. And then they run the play. I don't care if he's covered. I could give a crap if he's covered. It's third down. It's the biggest play of the game. He's the best player on the team. I trust that, and I know the pass rush is good, and I know Derek doesn't have a lot of time. He doesn't. But I trust that Derek and Waller can, Waller can run an eight-yard in route, out route, button hook, whatever the hell you want to call it, and Derek can get on football. It's nice that he looks at Hunter to the left and he's double teamed. He took the sack because the play needed to develop. I don't believe in that concept. I don't believe that the play needs to develop to Waller. I believe that Waller should be getting the ball more often than everybody else. So on the biggest play of the game, which is third down, with the game on the line, you go to Waller. A, you might get a flag. B, you should get a catch. Three, you could get a knockdown ball. You live with it. And then the Raiders decided to kick instead of go for it. And here's Carlson, who's having a really good year, and he missed this one. So this will be about a 52-yard field goal. Coming up now. Carlson will kick it. Sieg, Cole, good hold. Here's the kick on its way. It's off to the left side. No good. No good. Uh, that, really, that was the game right there. Now, for those... And I'm sure we'll take some phone calls on this. For those who said, why didn't Gruden go for it on fourth down? Because Brandon Staley's going for it on fourth down. Fair. That is very fair there. But I think the reason why Coach 
went for it there is because that was going to make it 21-17. to 17. And remember, 21. They had 21 at the half. The Raiders would have scored 17 unanswered, and they felt pretty good that they could slow down Justin Herbert. They were. They were. You know, if they make that field goal, they kick it off into the back of the end zone, and Herbert gets it at the 25, and the defense showed up at that point. But then after that point, it was over. At that point, it was done because all Herbert needed was to get the ball back one more time. If he was going to get the ball back one more time, he had a pretty good feeling that they were going to find a way to capitalize, and they were able to do that, and that was pretty much the game. Raiders get the ball back uh, down the stretch to try to, you know, get the game back in contention, but it was just a little bit too late as Carr throws this interception. Here is Carr, takes it back into the gun, looks off, fires, intercepted, picked off, down the sideline, pass was intended for Waller, and you know who, Derwin James steps in, makes the interception, and that probably turned the lights out for tonight. All right, so Brett Musburger, Lincoln Kennedy on the call. Uh, that's how the game developed. If I saw something you didn't see, if you saw something I didn't see, let us fl- let us know, let it fly. 702-365-9200. Very bizarre game with the lightning strike and what happened in the delay. Coach Gruden, after the game, talked about the fact that the Chargers came at him in waves. They couldn't stop him. You know, we, we had a – I can answer other questions. I don't know if we slowed him down enough. We may have slowed Mike Williams down, but we didn't stop him enough. That's the big thing. Yeah, they didn't. The defense couldn't get off the field on some big plays. Also, Coach Gruden tipped his cap to the opposing quarterback, who is one hell of a player. Justin Herbert had a big game. He's a good quarterback. They got a heck of an offense. They got a lot of weapons. And they got a lot of different kinds of plays, and he can execute them. He's a special talent. Injuries are a big part of this team, something I harp on often on this broadcast. And Coach Gruden knew last night in the bowels of that stadium, which he did not like, he did not like that stadium, the locker room set up and all of it, that he's going to have to deal with injuries this week. No, we lost a couple corners. Arnett went out, Mullen went out, Nate Hobbs went out at the end of the game. So um, I'll have an update later in the week. All right, and the, the last thing I want to hit on, we'll get to your calls, it's just the bizarre night overall with the lightning strike, the delay. You know, Coach Gruden was really amped up after that delay. I mean, he was amped up on the sidelines. A couple of people brought that to my attention. We're at the Raiders Tavern and Grill. I said, eh, that's what he does, man. He's a fired-up guy. He's trying to get the team ready to play after the delay. Here's how he wraps up the night. Yeah, he's something else. I mean, I, I'm proud of all our players. I really am. I wish I could answer all your questions, but – Uh, I've never had an indoor stadium with a lightning delay. This was a bizarre night for all of us. It was a bizarre night. It's a loss. The Raiders are 3-1. and You all would take it. If I lined up 100 Raider fans in Henderson, 100 on the Strip, 100 in Oakland, 100 in L.A., 100 in Summerlin, every single one of you would take 3-1, and all of you, to start the season off. You'd take it. But you know that 4-1 and is critical. Three and one doesn't mean much if it's three and two, because three and two would lead me to believe that it's going to be three and three, four and four, five and four like that. The Raiders have a great opportunity to go four and one and be sitting in a great spot if they can beat the Bears. We'll talk about that for most of the week. So let's get the phones going. Let's get excited. Uh, We're going to clear up. I can say what all the coaches say. You know, we're going to clean up. We're going to clean up the mistakes on the show today and then get to the Bears preview. Big shows lined up all week. Tom Flores in about 10 minutes. 
Antonio and Modesto. What's happening, Antonio? Hey, JT, man. Um, I was at the game last night. You know what? So far, it was okay, but um, I wasn't impressed by the food. I didn't see a lot of fights. I want to say it was – I didn't see no fights, to be honest with you, to be quite honest. Yeah. Ray, I, you know, I kind of feel bad for the Chargers, man. They got a raw deal to have that – the Sheriff Stadium, man. I don't know what that last-minute deal that went down. But anyway, that's not what we're calling about. Mm-hmm. Um, they um, they were a couple guys that were out of hand a little bit, but nothing too crazy, not like Charger Raider games in the past. Mm-hmm. You there? Oh. Might might be our phone ghost. Okay, uh, the the fans who were there and the fans who showed up, we thank you. That was a big deal for Raider fans who showed up and were excited to be there at the game there. And you really represented well, represented well. And I wish the Raiders came out. If the Raiders came out and scored, if that was a 14-7 first half, I think the Raiders win the game, or they would have tied the game up, and we would have had a five-minute game with a tie score. Anything could happen. But the game got out of control. The game got away from the Raiders. And that's an issue. And John Gruden's got to correct it. I don't know if it's going to be more scripted 15 plays or what are they going to do. That's what the coaches decide. But they got some really good names behind the scenes there. And Greg Olson and Johnny Morton and the offensive staff led by John Gruden. And I think the pressure's on in that building to start faster. Yeah, the pressure was on Paul Gunther last year to turn the defense around. He wasn't able to do it. I think the pressure's on in that building to get that game going. Get the game going in the first quarter. And that pressure is also on Derek Carr. Because Derek Carr can change any play he doesn't like whenever the hell he wants. So if he wants to get off to a better start, Derek is going to have to do that and get the team in a good position so they're not trailing 14-0 in all these games. Lester in the Bay Area. Thanks for calling, Lester. What's happening? JT, yeah, a very bizarre game like you were saying. I still don't understand why the Raiders were, were, were they went out in the field and Chargers stayed back. So mm-hmm. something was going on there with miscommunication, which was ridiculous. But anyway, regarding the game here, um, we, like you said, there's something going on in the first 15 plays with the script going on on offense. And uh, Derek's going to have to do more audibling and getting out of certain plays if he sees the defenses and getting in the zone right away. Because the first 15 plays, it seems like, that are scripted, it's not working. So we, and plus, we know the offensive line is patchwork right now. Let's be honest. Uh, right now, I would I would like to see maybe if Brandon Parker could take over a right tackle and let Leatherwood sit, watch a little bit, get him in on more jumbo packages when we load up on the offensive line because we're going to have to get more tight end sets. We're going to have to do more play action. And mm-hmm. a couple of small things, I don't know why Peyton Barber, our main backup, who, had, who was hot mm-hmm. last week, I don't know why he was on uh, kick returns. He gets hurt. Man, yeah. we should have been, we know Josh Jacobs is not 100%. We were going to need Peyton Barber. To, to, to pound the football, okay? Uh, Kenyon Drake disappeared. He wasn't part of the passing They weren't going to run the football. They were, they were, hold on. They weren't going to run the football in the game. They were down 21 nothing. They had to abandon the run. They had to abandon the run. They were in the midst of a shootout. They were getting their ass kicked. This was not going to be, hey, let's go back to the run, and hopefully Peyton Barber is going to run it left and right, and we're going to get back in the game. I didn't see it that way, but, yeah. you know, he got banged up. Guys are getting banged up and going down left and right. You bring up a great point on Drake. The one thing that I thought they were going to do is run screen passes behind Bosa. Yes. I didn't see much of that. I, I would have loved to see more screen passes. Our screen game is practically non-existent. So mm-hmm. I, we need to get that done. I mean, on the defensive side, all week long, we were talking that we got to get in the face of that kid, Herbert. Don't give him all the time in the world and let you pick him apart. And he, that's exactly what he did. I mean, our defense played hard. We played hard. But from the beginning, we got to blitz. we got to get him to bring the heat. 
right away. Don't just rely on the four for the whole mm. first quarter and your rotation when they're not getting there. When they're not getting there for the first couple of series, you got to bring the heat and get that quarterback on the ground from the beginning. Don't be patient and play soft in the back end with that cover three. You've got to get heat of the quarterback right away. And that better not happen against Justin Fields. We can't make him look like Joe Montana this coming up week. You know, the, we, we got the, fourth, the next quarter of the season coming up. We've got to win the next two out of three games before the bye week, period. And I look forward to this, to making it, this team making adjustments and taking it to the Bears. Yep, that's a good phone call. Thanks for the call. Yeah, you got to take it to the Bears. You have to take it to the Bears. You have to come back and you have to clean up. That's the term everybody uses. You have to clean up the mistakes that are being made when it comes to execution. They have the plays. They run them in practice perfectly. They're all right there. There's not a secret treasure chest that they're looking for and they can't find. They got everything. It's right there. They got the quarterback. Now, the question about Leatherwood's an interesting one because they drafted him number in the first round, and he's got to play. Guy played at a high level. He won the Outland Trophy in college. Is the speed of the game, is the, are these early mistakes costing him and hurting him? Of course they are. I expected it. I expected him to play a little bit better than he's playing, but we all expected mistakes against Joey Bosa. One thing about Leatherwood, this has been a tough test. Okay, T.J. Watt got hurt. He was on the other side, but Leatherwood's on that offensive line dealing with the best pass rusher, the best in Pittsburgh. Baltimore's got one of the best defensive schemes we've seen, and he had a play in that first game. The Dolphins had a very good defense, coached by a very good defensive coach in Brian Flores, and then the Chargers have one of the best defensive pass rushes out there. And now you got Khalil Mack. If you're Khalil Mack, you're lining up, licking your chops, going, I'm going to move around. I want to line up in front of Leatherwood. And Tom Cable knows that, and they're going to have to find a way to get him some help there. The problem is when you need to help out your offensive line, that's a problem. And again, Colton Miller, where is Colton Miller? I'm not saying he's playing poorly, but Colton Miller is not playing like an all-pro. A pro bowler, and those were the expectations coming into this year. And again, pro football focus, and we have Sam Monson coming on later. He gives out grades. Look, I don't know exactly I could find the grade for him, but we got to just see the offensive line step up and do their job because they're running out of bodies. We're running out of bodies in the secondary. Mike Mayock's going to have to go out and find new players to come in and help the depth of this team because this team always gets hurt. A lot of guys aren't available for John Gruden. Uh, let's get out to Tank, listening on the Raiders mobile app. Go ahead, Tank. Yeah, my thing with the game last night was, was tackling. Mm-hmm. There was way too many missed tackles. Yeah, K.J. Wright got beat on a wheel route from Eckler. There was some bad tackling over the middle of the field. But you're not questioning the effort, right? I wouldn't question the effort. I think no. the effort has been tremendous with Gus Bradley in this defense. Yeah, I mean, it It just seemed like they just weren't there last night like they were the like past three weeks. Mm. But And everybody was saying how, like, 2002 we were 3-0 the last time we started 3-0. But that year, we actually went 4-0 and then lost the next four games. So this ain't that big of a deal. We just need to turn it around against Chicago. We'll be at home. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Carr will look a lot better. I think he will um, come out fired up a little quicker this time. Yeah, I think you're right. Thanks for the call. You come home to Allegiant Stadium. You get the home crowd with you. And you come in and you just explode. You, you try to score early and get the crowd into the game. Very important game. They're all important. They all add up. 
they all equal the same. Everybody cries and worries about, oh, we lost a division game. All it's going to take is the Chargers losing a non-division game and the Raiders winning a non-division game. When they add up the wins at the end, they don't care. If we're getting into tiebreakers and seedings and it's exactly division wins, I get it. It's overall wins, and the Raiders got to get to 10 wins. If they beat the Bears, they're 4-1. and 4-1 and one, with a lot of other games that look winnable on the schedule. But if they play the way they played in Los Angeles against the Chargers, that could be a problem. Head out to any Wahoos, especially the Wahoos on Eastern, for Yankees-Red Sox tonight. Oh, California Beach Cuisine, Wahoos, the best California burrito I've ever had, and the fish taco, Wahoos. Uh, but playing with fire and all that, like I'm not even, not in a bad way. Like I can't help you write that in my head because it's it's just different every game. You know what I mean? It's just different. But but we haven't started out fast in every game, so it have, it's something we definitely need to look at. Not starting off fast enough. We'll get to that with Pro Bowl, a longtime Pro Football Hall of Famer now because he's a Hall of Famer. I get to do, introduce him every time as a Hall of Famer. Tom Flores joins us and. Coach, uh, before we get to the game last night, I wanted to start off and get a recap of your weekend with your wife, kids, grandkids, how the Raiders treated you, and what was it like being on the field getting your Hall of Fame ring? Oh, it was magical. I tell you, it was just surreal, magical, all of the above. Every ex, every 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 thing you can, t- every word you can think of to to make it sound great, it was great. Uh, uh, it couldn't have been better. Uh, it couldn't have been better. I mean, it was about as good a celebration as I've ever had in my entire life. And, Coach, that says a lot because you've had a few. You had the day in Sanger. Also, you had the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It doesn't get any bigger than that. And then you have an experience like that with former teammates and players and the organization. You're on the field for an actual big NFL game with David Baker. I mean, to watch that whole thing come together behind the scenes – I really applaud the Raiders for what they were able to do and applaud you and your family for being such a big part and committed to all this. It really made the game a much better experience for everyone. Oh, yeah, no question. I mean, I, I, I mean, they, the Raiders went way, you know, they went way overboard in, in uh, making it a, a special moment in, in my life, my family's life, my friends, relatives, and the and the former players, the, the yeah. alumni, the alumni, they had they were as involved as anybody. I mean, it was pretty unique. You have to admit, JT, it was pretty unique the way they presented that whole thing. Oh, coach, it was incredible. To the surprise when they surprised you on Friday night to the game, and you know we were able to sit down and do our podcast together on the series we're doing with you, which I'm so proud to be a part of. I just thought it was incredible from the alumni department to Mark Davis to everyone, to the security, the staff in the stadium, just a memorable event. So let's go to the game last night and what jumped out at you. It was a big spot for the Raiders to remain undefeated. Chargers took the lead and never looked back. They were up 21 nothing, coach, at the half. Well, they outplayed. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, the Raiders, you start out – as bad as they, as poorly uh, and inept as they were in the first two quarters. Uh, usually they start out slow, but that was uh, ridiculous. So they just. Uh, but I. But having said that, I realized 
I didn't realize they were so banged up. Their offensive line is banged up. Uh, their corners, uh, they're playing. Uh, they're not playing with a full deck. Yeah, no doubt. Tom Flores is our guest. So, Coach, we always hear about scripted plays and starting off better. And John Gruden's a masterful play caller with a Super Bowl ring. But we go back to Bill Walsh and the stories of those first 15 scripted with Montana and Rice. I don't think I've ever asked you. What was your philosophy on scripted plays in, in big games, regular season games? Were you prone to doing that? Uh, yeah, I, well, I didn't script them, but I had I had the plays that I felt were going to be good early in the game. Uh, I didn't script them. I just used them because, you know, you, first of all, if it's first and ten, it's first and ten. If it's uh, third and one, are you going to use the same play that you had called if it was going to be first and ten? Uh, so there's certain plays that fit certain certain areas of the field uh, in certain situations. And uh, if it's fourth and one, are you going to and your play is scripted to be a, a home run? Uh, are you still going to try to throw it? So scripted was, uh, I think, misleading at times. But Bill was very good at that, and and. Uh, and they would practice it. That's the way they would practice the whole team. I think one of the things that they do, the whole team knew the, the script because they had practiced it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was that was uh, pretty clever the way they did it because there were there were no mistakes made when you do that. I think right now the Raiders are. I think they're trying. I think my feeling watching the game, they're trying to do too much at the line of scrimmage. Bingo. Coach, I said that on the postgame show last night that they come out of the huddle and cars going up and down the line talking and changing the plays. Not all the time, but a lot of times. Please elaborate on that. When a play is called, a quarterback sees something, there's a bunch of communication, and the play's changed instead of just going with the play that came in and trying to win that matchup. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I think, you know, I always called a play uh, that, that was that I called. Uh, we called our own plays in those days, and and the only time you change a play in those was if it was a bad play. You had called a bad play mm-hmm. based on what you're looking at, uh, or if you saw a situation that you had practiced all week. When they do this, you automatically go for this one because it's a big play. Don't just change a play to be changing a play, because all of a sudden you're ma- you're making your final decision, and there's about three or four seconds left on the clock, and you're making your final decision not for you, you're making it for twelve, eleven guys. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't understand that philosophy at all, but that's me. Maybe that's the modern day. I think because Peyton Manning looked like that's what he was doing. I think most of it was BS. <laughs> the line of scrimmage, anyway. Um, I, I think I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of disgusted. I'm not disgusted. I'm kind of upset right now that they're they're uh, playing the way they are. But but having said that, like I said, they're they're baited up. I mean, they're not playing yeah. with a full deck. That's it's remarkable. They're three and one. Yep, Tom Flores, Hall of Famer. As we wrap it up, so coach, two things before we get to the Bears game coming up. Uh, Justin Herbert's a special player. And you went up against special players in the division when you were coaching. When you see a guy like that who looks this good this early, and you know you're going to have to face him for years to come, I mean that that reflects and goes through and reverberates through the whole organization. 
that John's going to have to be facing and his defensive coordinator, Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Herbert four games out of 17 a year. That's a tall task. Yeah, sure was. It reminds me of several years ago when we when there was a guy in the draft and uh, and he was a first rounder, but was taken in the second round because he had a broken ankle at the time. And uh, but he was really good. His name was what was his name? Dan Fouts, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one, Coach. What do you do? What do you do when you come off a loss like that? On a short week, you got the Bears coming in on Sunday. Again, a short week. You mentioned the injuries. Khalil Mack's coming to town. I mean, the Raiders got to win this game. If they do, they go to 4-1. and one. What's your message if you're the coach in the locker room to keep your eye on a great start to the season by going 4-1 and one if you can bounce back and win this game? Well, don't change anything. Just play better. Uh, and and if, there's some, if there's something that has to be changed, only change it if it's a horrendous play or a bad play or a bad player but don't change it just to be changing uh you played you stunk you stunk in the first half uh there were some mistakes made there always are uh, but uh just play it better and uh and practice more and practice better you know because you, you're playing with guys that every time they practice this is their first time they're doing whatever they're doing because they're so young so you gotta you know you gotta and khalil uh, it's going to be fun to see him, not, not on the other side of the ball, but it's going to be fun to see him. I always liked him. I loved him. Yeah, he's a great kid, great player. Coach, when's the next time you're back in town in Vegas? When are we going to see you again? I'm not sure. I'm going to try to make it up for Freddie's uh, crab feed. Uh, yes. crab feed, but I'm not sure whether I can do it right now. My back still bothers me a little bit, so I'm kind of playing low right now. Okay, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for the time, Coach. You got it. Take care. Tom Flores, great to get him. That was a really good interview on his part, telling us what he saw. He seems pretty upset about the play there and how the scripted plays are not. Coach Flores wasn't big on scripted plays, but he went with his best plays. I think that's probably what Coach Gruden's doing. Coach Gruden's got his playbook. He knows what he's doing. They just got to come out and execute the playbook. That interview was brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. want to thank the Remy Martin team, led by Torrey last night. As we watch the game in the Remy Martin room in the back of the Raiders Tavern and Grill. Had a sidecar, which was nice. Had it for good luck. I'll continue to try to get good luck. Remy Martin, our proud partner here on Raider Nation Radio. at the top with Tampa, Kansas City, Green Bay, and Buffalo, but Dallas and, and Arizona have made the two large jumps. Do you see the value there in the Chargers after what we saw on Monday Night Football? And if they do end up winning the West, they'd get a home playoff game. It's very early to tell now, but the Chargers look good last night. Yeah, we're still sitting at 25-1 to 1 on them, and I liked them before the year. I played a little myself at 40-1, to 1, and I thought that mm-hmm. this team might have this identity to them. So if you're looking someone beyond the 20-1 to 1 range, 25-1 to 1 fits them nicely. Jeff Sherman joins us. What about the drop-off for the 49ers? And now Garoppolo banged up, maybe a transition soon to Trey Lance. What do you see in San Francisco? Yeah, well, we've bumped them all the way up to 30-1. Uh, to 1. We don't want to get too aggressive because they are a public team. But what you see in the immediate uh, reaction to it is the, the point spread at Arizona. Obviously, Arizona, the remaining undefeated team. But they're up to a 5.5-point favorite against the 49ers. This line would have been 3, 3.5 uh, if you didn't have any change in quarterback or possibility of it. 
Jeff, we get a good game on Thursday night. Rams at Seattle. I was on the right side of Seattle, at least as a prediction, because I thought they were going to treat that game like a playoff game. They've never lost three in a row under Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll together. I thought they had to win that game, and they played that way in the second half. Line opens up Rams minus one. I see you have it minus two and a half. Total in Seattle, 54 and a half. Yeah, we're getting uh, sharps and public on the Rams side that's driven it up, and obviously the public uh, betting over as they do in these standalone games. So, uh, you know, it's, it's getting up there, but, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of Rams and over parlays in this. Jeff, I'm interested in Tennessee-Jacksonville with all the Urban Meyer distraction there. You know, Urban Meyer doesn't play in the games, but he's trying to keep that locker room together. Initial line, Tennessee minus 7.5. Now you have it Tennessee minus 4 with a total of 48.5. Yeah, and that line's come down really because of how banged up Tennessee is and how they, they lost to the Jets. So you see that, and there was a lot of sharp play on the Jets last week, going from 8 all the way down to 5.5. So uh, that's where you see this line built in here with what Tennessee had done. Not so much Jacksonville and the coaching situation, stuff like that, but just how banged up Tennessee is. Jeff Sherman's our guest. Carolina minus four. I think you have it down to three and a half now with Philadelphia. I mean, Carolina, they looked amazing and physical in that first half against Dallas, and then they got worn down and beat up in the second half, and Dak pulled away. What do your eyes tell you about Carolina and what you've seen with them this year, especially on the defense? Well, I know a lot of sharp people were anti-Carolina going into the season, and they obviously started out well. And uh, it's tough in spots like this for them to be laying over a field goal. And I know there's a lot of people that don't like the Eagles and the way they're playing and, and hurt and, and so forth. But um, anything over a field goal is tough to ask some teams to get involved with that. So that doesn't surprise me that this line has come down from where we opened it at four. Uh, Jeff, one more game. I know a lot of fans are fading Pittsburgh, and they think Pittsburgh is a mess with Roethlisberger, and he's running out of time. Denver's got the quarterback issue. Teddy Bridgewater and the concussion protocol. Drew Locke had a chance, didn't look well. Line opened up Denver minus two. Now I see here, if I'm right, you have Pittsburgh as a one-point favorite at home. Yeah, that was because with Bridgewater and his concussion. So that switch with Locke in there. Uh, But now we're seeing that Roethlisberger might be in the concussion situation, but he's probably expected to play. So at the... Steelers minus one. We haven't had too much movement in that, but this could be very fluid. You have two quarterback situations on these teams. Jeff Sherman from the Superbook at the Westgate. So MLB odds to win the World Series. I find this fascinating that the Dodgers short at three to one and the Giants six to one. Walk me through you and your team's analysis all year as you're at the Westgate wondering if the Dodgers with their payroll and I thought superior lineup would chase the Giants down. What was the liability like there? And the fact that now the Dodgers are a favorite over the Giants who are waiting for the playoffs, and the Dodgers have a one-game in-game playoff with St. Louis. Yeah, we have some liability on both teams, uh, Dodgers. But with the Giants, that's we're close to seven figures of liability on the Giants. It's mm-hmm. one of our larger liabilities we've had in a baseball future book. We opened them at 300-1. to one. We took some large wagers at 300-200. So they're a little bit lower than we think they should be in this situation. Uh, but... This is a very unique situation here, too, because I can't recall a wild card team ever being the favorite for the World Series, Yeah, where the Dodgers are one game away from elimination, but they're the favorites for the World Series. And in the line for tomorrow night against the Cardinals, uh, we saw some sharp play on the Dodgers minus 210, and it's pushed the line up to minus 230. So there's a lot of people in the public will be involved with them, too, that think the Dodgers will get through this and then cement themselves as a favorite as we have now. 
Jeff, also finally your expertise in golf. I'll be out at the Shriners. I'm sure you'll be out there. Hopefully we can connect. Great to see Brooks Kepka playing here as the favorite, according to you, and a pretty good a pretty good rundown of golf players who are making this trip, considering we're coming off the Ryder Cup and the FedEx. Why is Vegas pulling some bigger names than they normally do here? And what does this tell you about this tournament going forward when it's at year end? Yeah, it's, it's a nice field, and it's been strengthening mm-hmm. each year. And one of the uh, the reasons for this, for this year especially, is because the following week they're playing the CJ Cup at the Summit out here. And that's almost like a World Golf Championship event where you get top names playing in Vegas. So there's a lot of players that will be playing next week that are going to be playing this week. That's why you see the strong field this week. But it's 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 a great field. And I've eased Brooks Kepka out to 25-1 to 1 now from 20-1. to 1. That leaves Victor Hovland as a favorite at 20-1. to 1. But just like you mentioned, Abraham Anser, Scotty Shuffler, Webb Simpsons, Alatoris, Matsuyama, uh, it's up and down. It's it's one of the stronger fields of the fall season. So a nice two-week set in Vegas, and I'm really looking forward to getting out next week to the CJ Cup to see all those stars play. Same here, right in my neighborhood. Can't wait to get out there and see the course. Jeff Sherman, appreciate it. The sharpest book in town over at the Westgate, the Superbook. Thank you, Jeff. All right, thanks, JT. Jeff Sherman. We have him on because we need to have a gambling presence. He's one of the sharpest gentlemen in town setting the lines. And then we put on other prognosticators and handicappers the rest of the week to try to give you a little opportunity to win money. Instead of, we're going through an era now in sports radio where people who are not smart enough, good enough, and qualified enough are giving picks out on sports radio because for whatever reason, there's an open microphone in front of their voice. You're not giving out picks for, for football games or anything else unless you show your ticket you tell us how much you're betting, and you tell us your analysis on why you're betting. They're called sharps. Professional gamblers come on my show because they're the only people I believe that should be allowed on sports radio. Not a host who wasn't a host and was a board op. Now he's going to give picks and tell you who he's going to pick to win? Get out of here with that crap. Just because you're on Twitter doesn't mean you can have a parlay card and get it out there and get one of them right every two months and think you're a gambler. We put on real gamblers, sportsbook directors, and people who know gambling. Not people who happen to do the midday shift, and they're on the radio, and they think they could give you picks. If you're listening to those people, no wonder why you don't break even. No wonder why it's difficult. It is extremely difficult to win money gambling. I mean, literally impossible. The sharpest of the sharps have a tough time doing it. So when you listen to my radio shows, plural, However long that lasts, I mean, I can't be doing two radio shows the rest of my life. Got to get back to my life. You'll hear gamblers who have track records and strong opinions or titles next to their name. Paul Gutierrez next hour, recapping the Raider loss.